So we are continuing uh, last week's sermon. Uh, we talked about peace and uh, looking at some of the elements of peace, and we, we said that we didn't quite get to the application, so we're going to try to get there today. Uh, and so I just want to recover just a little of the ground that, that we, we went over, just to refresh our memory. We talked about some metaphors. Um, we talked about being at peace and how uh, that's a way of kind of a, just a metaphor to communicate that the idea of, of constancy, uh, a permanent situation, being at peace. That so many people, um, peace is a transient condition. Right? It's, it's kind of like happiness. Um, there are moments of calm. For example, uh, there's a moment of calm. Uh, I remember a few years ago uh, working hard on my deck so that I could have one cappuccino on my deck before winter hit. And, uh, and, and I endured it for about like five minutes before I had to go in. It was very transient, very fleeting. And I had to wait for the whole next year for, for really to enjoy my, my deck. Or, or maybe um, uh, things are going really great and you have, this is just completely random, a day where both of your computers don't turn on. Right? You have... You probably never had one of those days. I had one of those days this week. Uh, it's just, just crazy things, and all of a sudden, like, everything was, oh, I'm getting the message. I'm on. I'm on. All right. <clears throat> um, and all of a sudden, you, you know, just things are upended, and you're not at peace. What do we do in that, that moment? Can you still be at peace um, in these changing times? Times change our lives change. Uh, can we still be at peace? We said Christ is this mobile position of peace. Uh, and, and I want to explain what I mean by this. I, I, I remember a physics, in, in physics class in, in a, when I was a senior in high school. I got this. Uh, I had this teacher and he, he said, you know, and he, he gave us an example which I had actually thought about. I had actually thought about this and I wondered why this happens or doesn't happen. And, uh, and maybe you had a, a physics teacher who, who did this. But, but it, you get in a car and you start driving. There's a fly in the car. Why doesn't the fly, you're going 60 miles an hour, why doesn't the fly hit the back window? Right? It's like, like, you're going 60 miles an hour. That fly can't be flying 60 miles an hour. How does he do that? I never knew that. Well, I had to learn some laws of physics. See, see, what I didn't know is that there's, there's air, I mean, I knew it, but you don't think of it because you don't see it, that there's air is moving with the vehicle, and the fly's position is relative to the air, which is relative to the vehicle, so he doesn't hit the back of the window. There's, you can't see the air, but it's there. There's mass. There's, this, there's all this stuff that's, that's going on that you, you can't see. We are at peace when we are with Christ. We, we can't see everything happening. And so even in a turbulent and changing life and world, I can be at peace. There's a, the theology of it is here. In Philippians 1.18-20, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full coverage now as always, 
Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And he calls him the spirit of Jesus Christ. The spirit, you are at Christ, right? You're at peace if the spirit is in you because he is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Don't ask me to explain that. I, I, some things I know and I can't explain. This is one of those. Like air, Jesus said, he described the Holy Spirit. It's like air. You don't see it. You just, it just, it works. And, and, and Jesus was trying to explain the, as best as he could the physics of the presence of the Holy Spirit to Nicodemus. It's just, it, it's not something you're going to ever be able to comprehend with your, your intellect. But, but you'll be able to observe the influences of it. And so it's, it's not magic. It's, it's this peace that passes understanding. And it, it comes in and it, it, it starts to work as we start to work the principles. It is a result of something we passively do. And that's kind of an oxymoron. And we've been talking about passive things in our, our life that bring us closer to God. You do something that's active, but how can you passively do something? Well, we're going to look at two ways that you can passively do something, and we're talking about satisfaction today. I'm going to talk about two elements of satisfaction, which is kind of connected to peace. First is the idea of contentment. Now, contentment, the idea of contentment is... Conditions. These are the, the conditions day to day. These are kind of, I mean, they, they might moderate a little bit, but your conditions are generally what they are. And over time, they'll change and be different, but, but from one day to the next, your conditions are about the same. Let me give you some illustrations that, or scriptures that, that might not necessarily directly apply, but they teach the idea of the concept. In Exodus 2, 18 through 21, uh, this is um, when uh, Moses meets Jethro. He went by his name, Ruel. And Jethro was actually a title, and just so we don't get that confused. It says, when they came home to their father, Ruel, these are the daughters, he says, how is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. And even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where then is he? Why have you left this man? Come, so he can eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. So he got a wife out of the deal. I guess I'd be content with that. Uh, but, but the idea here of contentment, we see a general living condition. Right? Moses is is going here and, and, and there's an arrangement. And it, his, his life is going to be a little different for a while, for about 40 years. It's going to be with this guy, right? And so, uh, so here's some living conditions. Uh, another one, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This might apply a little bit easier. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, because I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. No, so, so there's an idea that, that they change over time. Your state changes over time. right? But, it, but it's a kind of a slow process, typically. 
We'll talk about the times where it's not in just a second here. But there are different words that translate to contentment, and they're from different perspectives. And we want to look at some ideas along those lines. So let's look at how this, this works. First of all, I think when we, we talk about not being content, this is one of the first ones we think of. And there's a lot in the Bible about this contentment. And, uh, and 1 Timothy 6, 6-7 says this, with godliness, or godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. And, and this is, to me, uh, as I looked at this, this was a remarkable idea, and you've probably heard me talk about this before. It's been a little while. But this is one of those places that it passes understanding. Because when I look at this and I say, here I am, I'm existing, and I have godliness, okay, that's good, and I'm content, how has that increased things for me? So my bank account still looks the same, <laughs> maybe less, I don't know. How has this increased things for me? Well, I suppose it could be talking Spiritually, I've, I've earned a reward in heaven, or I've got gained a reward in heaven, laid up a reward in heaven, if you'd rather phrase it that way. So, so that's a gain, and that is true. It would also be true that godliness a lot of times will produce gain in that it will keep me from using my money in ways that get rid of it quicker, right? on stupid things, on harmful things. And so, so there's a great gain there. But, but there's an idea here, I think, that goes beyond that. And, uh, and, and you might have heard of this phrase. I'll explain it if you haven't. Uh, I didn't really understand it myself. Uh, but it's called baseline budgeting. How many know what baseline budgeting is? Anybody? Okay, baseline budgeting is this. It's, it works in... Uh, in Politics mostly. Uh, but <laughs> it says this every year you expect your budget to increase, right? Not just costs go up, there's inflation, and there's just a standard built in, it's going to increase every year. 3%, whatever. If you have a year where it doesn't increase 3%, you, you almost perceive that as a loss, don't you? Like, Oh, I was expecting to get a raise this year, or I was. Well, we were. Our, our office was expecting the budget to go up, and all of a sudden we have to operate. This it's like having a loss. Right? So, so, so based on budgeting, says says we just count on getting more. We just always get more. Well, this is baseline budgeting in reverse. This, this is it's like like this is not a new idea. Jesus says, lower your expectations, and all of a sudden, it's like you've got more. This is your expectation. This is the expectation he defines. He says, you had nothing, you'll have nothing, so everything you've got right now is a bonus. That's, that's, if you just have godliness, and you're just content with where you're at, it's like you've got more than you ever had. Because you're not counting on more. He just flips baseline budgeting. It's great, great, what a neat thing that, that he does here. Luke chapter 3, he gives a specific application 
or excuse me, Matthew. Matthew 6, maybe I've got the parallel one here. Um, I don't. Let me try this. It's probably in a different order here. I might be out of order. We'll see. If, I, if it's not next, we'll go back to it. Uh, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they are? Uh, and so, really, when we look at money, what is money? Money's pointless, really. In and of itself, you open your wallet and you got one with a five and you got one with a one on it. They have the same value, except that someone says, except that we all agree that the one with a five on it is more. But it's really, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same ink. It's all the same paper. Think of the thing, oh, well, that's paper money. Think about coins or think about shiny rocks. Why are shiny rocks valuable? Because we agree they are. Yeah, you go to the beach with your kid, and you bring home 75 rocks. You ever do that? Bring home 75 rocks with your kid if you don't pay attention. And then you wait till he's not looking, and you throw him out the back window. He assigns value to them. They're, they're valuable to me. They're shiny. Well, they're wet. And you get them home, and they're dry, and they're... Uh, we just assign values to things. Why do these have value? We agree on it. That's all. Really, when it comes down to it, the value in those things is what it produces, what it can obtain for us. The ability to purchase bread. The ability to, to get a house. The ability to do all these things that he says here, don't be anxious for. The necessities of life. That's what, what money is for. And Jesus works with this baseline again. He says, don't, don't worry about those things. God's already got that under control. You ever, he says, look at the birds. Do you ever look at birds? No? I, I, I'll come in here and, and, and I notice robins. Robins, the most common bird I think there are. They're very interesting. They've got a rule amongst themselves. I've, I've figured this out. They can only take three hops. <laughs> Watch them. Watch them. They'll be in the grass. There'll be 15 of them. They can go, doo, doo, doo. and they stop. And, and only one can move at a time. There'll be 15 birds up there. And they do this. It's really weird. Look at the birds. Just look at the birds. My, my wife did a, a class up at camp. And I, I don't really know if she did that. I heard some of her research. And she said robins will make like 160 trips a day when they have hassles. 160 trips a day. And they find worms every time. You watch them. Do, do, do. And it, I don't know how they sense it, if they feel it, if they hear it, if they sense it and feel it. What, what, I don't know how they do it. But they come back with a worm every time. God says, 
God feeds them. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Be content. God will take care of it. We're going to skip ahead. I'm going to not go into back to that one unless it's in here. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the next one, which is acceptance. This is the second idea of satisfaction. And here, we're not talking about conditions. I said we were going to talk about circumstances. Circumstances change a lot more rapidly than your conditions. And this is where happiness comes into play. This is where, where I'm happy today and, and my, oh, my computer's not turning on. Things change. Boom. Just like that overnight. I mean, my life is mostly the same, but, but this event happened. And now, I'm not at peace. So we go back to Matthew in that same passage. And this is kind of along with that same idea. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You, you worry about all these events. You, you really can't af- affect the circumstances that go on around you. That affect you from one moment to the next. You can't affect those. Maybe, maybe infinitesimally small. And so he said, acknowledge these. I want to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 13 through 19. He says, if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, but you didn't mourn. But John came either eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, oh, I've gotten a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this is kids. Kids decide we're going to play a game. And you've got a rule maker. Okay, we're going to play whatever. Okay, we're playing this, because Susie said we're playing this. We're playing this. But Susie's not happy with however the game goes. She just has to always... I know, I'm picking on a girl, but, but this is just... This was how my life was as a kid. It's just, it always seemed like the girls were making the rules. I'm not sure if that changed or not. But, but, but as a kid, it was like... There was, there was, the rules were never... They were always constantly changing. And, and, and whoever was making the rules for how we were playing, we weren't playing it right. And he says, you guys are like a bunch of kids. In the open marketplaces, you're never happy. John came playing one way, you weren't happy with that. I came playing the other way, you weren't happy with that. They weren't accepting. They weren't content. They were never satisfied. They had what they wanted, and they didn't want to let it go, no matter who was going to come along. And no matter how they came along, they were not going to be Content. They were not going to accept it, mentally speaking. I'm going to skip past the next one, but it has to do with reception. We'll, just, we'll, we'll get to it in the application. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about acknowledgement, because I, I think this is really the important part. So, sometimes the application is a little bit easier if we can just get past the upstairs part. That, that, that's where so often we get tripped up. 
He says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were partners with those who were treated like that. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted. This is a strange one. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Hey, my stuff got stolen. Awesome. That's, that's what he just said. This passes understanding. It makes no sense. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. In other words, they recalled this idea that I came into the world with nothing and I'm going to leave with nothing and what I own, what I possess is permanent somewhere else. But I like where he begins this lesson. I don't think it's an accident the way that it's phrased here. He says, after you were enlightened. After you woke up upstairs, then you were able to do all these things. You were able to accept punishment until we changed the mind and the way we look and the way we value things. We won't accept that. It takes a serious and drastic change of the way I value things and the way I look at things and what I'm looking at. Maybe I need to spend more time looking at birds and flowers. I don't know. But he begins with acknowledging reality. Not the reality that I can see and touch, but spiritual reality. This is important right here. Because modern life teaches us, modern American life, I should say, teaches us not to accept reality. That's the world we live in. Don't accept reality. You can always, you can do whatever you set your mind to. No, you can't. I will never dunk a basketball. It's, not, it's never happened. It never will happen. Chances are getting slimmer. I, I, I can't do anything. I have limitations. I'm a human. That's a silly illustration. But, he's, but the, the same thing applies. Who of you by worrying, who of you by refusing to accept reality is going to change one thing about your life? He says he's not. But we are trained that there's always another way. No, there isn't. Sometimes things dead end. And that's where they're at. We expect, well, if I lose this job, I'll get another one. Okay, you might. Maybe you won't. Or maybe it'll be a long time. We expect to live to 100. We expect something's wrong. I'm going to go to a doctor. They're going to fix it. We live in a time where we're used to that because they do it so often. But they don't always. 
but we expect it. And when reality says something opposite, we can't handle it. Because we're trained not to accept reality. We expect our jobs, we expect our life, we expect everything in our conditions and circumstances to go on smoothly, getting better and better and better, when everything really about reality tells us it's the opposite. Our health gets worse, right? Like, like taxes seem to get worse. Everything in life seems to get worse. But we expect it to get better. God says, I'm really presenting you with a lot of reality to accept, but we can't accept it. If we can accept I, I said it's American. I really think it's an American thing. I, uh, the first Christian in, in Nicopole, at least that I know of, is a lady named Nina. And um, she passed away about a year or so after we, we came back. But while we were still living over there, she had a stroke. Like a severe stroke. She was... At a Saturday market. Now, markets over there, like, they go do the grocery shopping, a lot of them, in an open thing, right? Like, like the, the tables with the pig's heads and the, like, the, that kind of thing was over there. Like, it's like a tourist thing. Hey, come see the pig's heads. I mean, you know, that's gross. She had a stroke at the open market and walked home like this because she had to. They accept life as it is. It just is what it is until it isn't. We don't. We think there's always another way. God says, you're going to have to rely on me. That's reality. Accept reality. I, I skipped over a passage talking about receiving it because that's another part of it accepting it is receiving it right i'm accepting applications i'm receiving applications what those phrases so let's talk about reception satan went out from the presence of the lord and struck job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took a piece of broken pottery he scraped himself with as he sat in the ashes, and his wife said to him, You still hold fast your integrity. Curse God and die. And he said to her, You speak like, like, didn't call her foolish. He said, You speak like one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we also not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And I want to draw your attention to something, because theologically, Job is wrong. We know the story. Satan did it. God didn't do it. We know that looking back. Job, with all of his theological errors, still accepted God. How much easier should it be for us who know the way things work spiritually, or at least have a slightly better idea than Job did, to accept the harm that comes? Job accepted harm, assuming it came from God. In other words, Job had no reason to assume he had an ally in his mind. His assumption said, I have no allies. That's the story of Job. God is against me. God is against me. What can I do? 
I have got no one. I've got these three friends. These are miserable friends. And God's against me. And he still held fast his integrity. That's intense. <coughs> Even without being able to see reality, he still received from God. Willingly received from God. At least up here. The truth is that in all circumstances, we have God as an ally. That might have made things easier on Job, and it might have prevented a little visit at the end of the book. (laughs) But the truth is that in all circumstances, God is with us. We do have an ally. That is the thing that is a constant in our life. My circumstances change rapidly. My conditions change, sometimes rapidly, but usually over time. Those things go up and down. They are unsteady. And Christ is a constant. The Holy Spirit in my life is a constant. So I can be satisfied. So I can be content. So I can accept things as they are. Whether they go the way I want them or not, I can accept them. That's the reality. It's the reality we all have to live with. I'm going to leave you with this idea. I don't know what it is, but recycle it. Don't throw it away. You've got something. Every one of us has something that causes an anxiety. I have done you have them. Scheduling. Scheduling causes you anxiety. It might be something minor. It might be a health thing. Those are big. It might be money things. Those are really, really big. Right? All these things. God, God said, don't be anxious. He didn't, he didn't mean don't have the emotion. Because we can't control whether or not we have the emotion. Right? Those, those are just there. But he's saying, don't act upon those emotions. You're going to have to turn it in. Turn it in and let God do something with it. And that's the purpose of recycling. Turn it into God and let God do something with it. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't even know what the thing is in your life that causes you the anxiety that it causes you. I know the things that cause me anxiety. And God says, just accept reality. It goes back to all these other ideas that we've talked about. You can't control it. Right? We talked about yielding. Yield control. Yield direction. These are all so similar. They're like slightly different aspects, aren't they? Slightly different ways of looking at things. They're all kind of... You can't really give up control unless you have a certain amount of contentment. Like they're all interwoven. I pick on my kids. I'm going to close with this. I um, we're up at camp, and one of the one of the guys that uh, runs one of the camps in in Waukesha or uh, Wisconsin was a calculus teacher, and uh, some of you know Jim Kuhorn. It's his son Jake, and uh, gave Benjamin some advice. And I was just thinking about this the other day. It was like we were we were like all worried about 
this exam and this, oh, we didn't get this exam taken in time. And, oh, man, we're going to lose a credit. We're, like, it was, oh, man, I, I didn't sign up for the exam in time. Or I didn't do it right, and I didn't get the exam. And that's going to be college credit hours and, and all the things that cause anxiety. Ah. It's, like, it's two years. It like, doesn't even blip on the radar. You don't even think about it. I don't. I, I, I doubt Benjamin does. It's the things that we think are so big in a moment really end up not being that big. Mark Twain said, I've worried about many things in life, most of which never happened. <laughs> There's various quotes like that, but we worry about so much that never happens. And give it to God. Turn it in and let him do something with it.